speech and interpretation department is a historic inter interpreter whose primary focus is on the original governor's mansion. She is a traditional artist who specializes in basketry, author of Weaving, Weaving Rocky Mountain Memories, Quilts and Doll Making. Her pink doll house has been on display at the public library for years. Bobby lives down the street in the family home that Harris has bought in 1926. They bought the real pink house from George Dahl, so she lives in the Dahl house. And the rest is history. Please welcome Bobby Harris. Thank you all for coming. Um, you never know when you're talking about dolls how many people are going to come out of the closet and admit <laughs> that we still play with dolls, we still love dolls. I know I certainly do. Um, and I have some stories to share with you to hope, hopefully you'll understand like I do that dolls are more than toys. First I have two confessions to make and one I already confessed to, I do still play with dolls. Um, and then the other one is, is if, if you went to school for dolls, um, I think I am uh, in only in junior high. So I don't know everything about it, but my doll friends or classmates told me that I'm in kindergarten, that I'm repeating kindergarten actually. So I'll give you as much as I know from the kindergarten level about the overview of dolls to try to convince you that dolls are more than a toy. They certainly were for me, my childhood was spent taking care of dolls, um, learning how to dress them and feed them and bathe them and keep them safe, sewing little doll clothes and little doll quilts, and this is my actual doll quilt that I made for my dollies, um, prepared me for later on being a housewife, which was the whole intention of dolls quite often, um, for our culture that at the time that I grew up, uh, that was what I was aspiring to be someday, a housewife and mother, and the dolls helped with that. But then being a, from a homemade kind of a family, I began to make my own dolls. And the first doll I made was when I was three years old. The little twins in the cradle. Did any of you make one of those? Um, so that was my very first doll, not that actual one. That, that handkerchief wore out quite a few years ago. But um, then I learned how to make tassel dolls. This was my grandmother's actually but it's what I aspired to. So out of scraps of yarn, a little girl could make a doll. Dolls have been made out of so many things over the years. Clay, wood, paper mache, wax, tin, um, yarn, cloth, handkerchiefs, clothespins, hollyhock blossoms, and I even have a doll at home made out of a peanut. So. Dolls go way back from about the time humans started walking around. It seems like we started playing with dolls. So, Here in Montana, in recent archaeology, uh, excavation near Marysville, this doll head was found. It's a China doll. China dolls go way back. China doll heads have been found um, at, in shipwreck sites, washed up on beaches, uh, all over the place. Some dolls were found in upholstery stuffing when somebody went to upholster a chair. But this little doll head, curious, curiously enough, was found in an excavation near a Japanese laundry site. And why was it there? Were the Chinese children playing with an American doll? Well, according to oral traditions, um, and in the book, 
Boomtown Saloons, Archaeology and History in Virginia City by Kelly Dixon. Dolls served a utilitarian purpose in businesses that offered female prostitution. Now I'm getting the most unsavory story over because I'm a very prim and proper doll person and uh, it, it was a little hard to understand that dolls were used as signals for when the girls were available. They had a doll that matched up to themselves that they had lined up on the bar and if they were busy they put the dolls laying down and if they were available the dolls were sitting up so when the gentlemen came in they could see what doll they wanted to pick for that night's company. So. A whole other way to use dolls or china bonnet heads for playing with. Um, you can see why they got their name bonnet head china. But you could assemble them yourself. You could get the doll parts, and those are the things that are usually turn up on shipwrecks. And a mother could assemble them by making her own cloth body and uh, construct the doll in any size shape that they wanted to with these um, doll heads. You can see them for sale in Sears catalog. And that is a photograph. You can't see it real well, but I wanted to prove to you that I do have a 1952 work basket magazine, and one of the ads was for China doll parts. So even into 1952, people were still assembling China dolls. The other dolls were, are some China dolls that I just recently finished, and now I have to really finish them by adding some bodies to those other heads. So, and one of the dolls is sitting out on the table. Here's some more China dolls. Um, one is in our collection here at the museum, and the other one is something that I made. And that's the one on the plaid, uh, and she's getting an authentic costume done. Doll clothes and what they f we find them in are a real good clue to our culture and how we dress at certain time periods even how your underwear was. So she's got a real corset that laces up the back and split drawers. Very authentic. So reproduction sometimes can be hard to tell from the old stuff, except that maybe they're not quite as worn out. Here's some photographs from our archives to show how important dolls were to so many people here in Montana. And these girls are all holding porcelain dolls. Ellen Maine has a special doll dressed in her father's christening gown. But accidents can happen to china and porcelain dolls. They can break and you can lose your dolly. And look at how sharp those points are. So one lady had to deal with those sharp points on there. And she was the first woman to get a patent in 1873, and it was for doll making. And this quote comes right out of the patent office. Patents are a really great place to, to find primary documents on when dolls began. And Isanna Walker invented a new valuable improvement in the manufacture of dolls. My doll is inexpensive, easily kept clean, and not apt to injure a young child, which may fall upon it. That was a problem. So she very kindly devised a, a method to make a doll that wouldn't hurt the children. She carved a wooden mold, pressed basically pasty cloth into it to mold it, took it out, and then covered it with paint. This doll um, is a takeoff of that. After a while, um, lots of people got in the knack of making these dolls that were cloth that still had molded faces. In 1980, I met an old lady in the South who took her fabric, starched it all up, laid it on top of a real doll, and lo and behold, as it dried, it had the face into it. I'm not sure the method that Dinah was constructed in 1907, but this doll resides at the Historical Society. 
She was a gift to a little girl in Montana in 1907 on her first birthday, and she received the present from her grandmother and took very good care of her. If you want to see her in real life, remember you were warned that my focus is the original governor's mansion. So come and meet me and Dinah at the mansion someday. Here's another picture in our archives from about 1904 of the Hunter Mack family out in the country, and yet what's that little girl holding in the picture? A little hard to see way up there, but it is a porcelain doll. Um, so dolls were around Montana for quite some time. A more nobler cause for dolls was to do fundraising for children's causes. And Miss Columbia was invented. And Miss Columbia was a product of Emma Adams from New York. It's a similar doll to Isanna Walker's, only it's been painted instead of molded. And these dolls are my interpretation of the Columbia doll. There's a kit in the picture of my friend's um, pattern that she has made from Miss Columbia, so that if anybody wants a Miss Columbia and can't get the real thing because she's safe and sound in a museum now, they can recreate one for themselves. Miss Columbia traveled along uh, raising money and meeting people along the way. In 1900, April 12th, she began her journey in a trunk full of extra clothes and a warm coat for when she traveled to cooler areas and a copy of the Boston Daily newspaper. She had a red, white, and blue sash on it because she did go all over the world and one of her accessories was a journal that people were supposed to record her um, viewpoint of her ventures. One of the journals mentions that she had a reception for Miss Columbia on top of Pikes Peak and that a dance in her honor was performed at the Southern Ute Indian Reservation. In 1901, she secured passage for the Philippine Islands on the U.S. Army Transport, popularly nicknamed the Teacher's Transport, after the Spanish-American War. But before going abroad, Columbia's face and hands had to be thoroughly clean because, as recorded in her journal, I had been kissed by so many big folk as well as little ones. In Denver alone, over 600 children kissed and shook hands with me at one reception. However, my face and hands have been well washed for my start over the sea. So this was a nice thing. It was a cloth doll without the paint on there. couldn't have been washed clean. Now that she's reached the venerable age of 100, Columbia and her brothers and sisters from the International Doll Collection that was on display in the 1893 World's Fair um, lives in the Wenham Museum in Wenham, Massachusetts, and that's where my friend Gal studied her very closely so she could get a pattern for all of us to enjoy our own Miss Columbia. Now visitors from coast to coast and overseas come to visit her instead of her going to see them. Speaking of cloth dolls, here's a few other ver versions of those dolls that I've made. And even a cloth doll that's turned into a pincushion doll, so dolls could be functional. A lot of pincushion dolls were made with porcelain half dolls on the, the top of their skirts. In 1915, Johnny Gruel patented a, a doll that he had fixed up for his daughter. They pulled it out of the attic, and he gave her a new face. His daughter, Marcella, was very sick from an infection she received from a smallpox vaccine. And he made up stories sitting her there with her doll and about her dolly and Marcella playing with it to try to comfort her. After she died at 14 in 1916, he took the rag doll to his office. Um, and as an illustrator, he ended up writing 15 books about Marcella and her dollies. It was quite a comfort to him. 
When he had a publisher broach him about the possibility of making an actual Raggedy Ann doll to go along with the books displayed in the store windows, he made a couple of them. They ended up becoming just as big a hit as the doll, and so his family got together and they started producing Raggedy Ann dolls as quickly as they could. Now this story, a, a reproduction that I have, says Raggedy Ann and Andy and the camel with the wrinkled knees. But in this book here, we have the Raggedy Ann got her candy heart. So there's quite a few stories about her. Now how did she get her candy heart? Well, the Gruel family uh, remembers the son, his son Worth going to the candy store and getting a big bag of those candy hearts we see at Valentine's. And he had to pick out all the I love yous because the family stuck an I love you heart right where her heart should be inside her body. Well, that turned out to be a little bit of a problem if you know how kids have sweet tooths because those darn kids would start sucking on their dolly's chest just to get the sweet out of it. <laughs> well, that kind of made a sticky mess and the mothers did not appreciate the Gruel family putting those hearts in their dollies. So they asked them to please stop it. And so the Gruel family thought that might be a good idea and substituted cardboard hearts instead. It was till much later when a company started putting the I love you's right on their chest. But uh, those candy hearts kind of left a mark. If you are a doll collector and you're looking for a doll, rag dolls, and you're inspecting them to try to find out which company made your doll, if you see sticky residue on the chest, you'll know you got one of the original Gruel dolls. <laughs> it's actually in the collector's book to look for that stain. This little doll in the picture is my dolly. I told you I took care of dollies. Um, this is how well I took care of them. <laughs> She's pretty well worn out, but she does have the I love you on her. And um, I have a picture of me when I opened her up on Christmas Day with a very disappointed look on her face because I was watching Captain Kangaroo and those dolls were this big. And here I open up a shoe box and there she is, only this, this big. So I got over my disappointment and I took good care of her anyways. But as soon as I could, I bought a McCall's pattern when I grew up. Did anybody ever, ever buy a McCall's pattern for Raggedy Ann? Well, those dolls, if you have made them, you're not allowed to sell them. It's a copyright infringement to actually sell the dolls. So if you have one, you get to keep it. So, and, and I went a little bit crazy. I made about six of those sets real big, trying so hard to make up for not getting my big Raggedy Ann doll when I was three years old. Legend has it that one day when Johnny Gruel was sitting in his office after his books and his dolls were getting famous, a prim little old lady walked in with a doll, an old rag doll, and she sat it down on the desk and she said, you don't know this, but your grandmother and I were best friends and neighbors when we were growing up, and my mom made each of us a rag doll. And your mom, grandma, still has hers, Raggedy Ann, and here's mine. And supposedly she set down Raggedy Andy. And Raggedy Andy, after that, 1920, has become pretty famous too. Legend, story, whatever, it's part of the history of, of the family. Now, what happened to the Gruel family? Well, Joni Gruel wrote a story in a magazine, a doll magazine once, so it was really exciting to see that. She was the granddaughter of Johnny Gruel, and she said that her family was pretty excited when in the early 1960s, they discovered five unpublished manuscripts that Johnny had written. 
And so they went about illustrating them. So there's at least three generations of the Gruel family illustrating ragdolls. She calls her ragdolls raggedy pals. Now we're up to 1912, at the same time Raggedy Ann dolls were being enjoyed. Um, there was an illustrator named Grace Drayton, born 1876 in Pennsylvania. In 1904, her first husband asked her to draw something for a meeting where he was going to pitch an ad. He was an ad executive, and the company was the Campbell Soup Company. So the Campbell Soup companies started getting drawn. Grace Drayton's illustrations were so popular that they later made them into dolls. And this family is working hard at home constructing doll clothes for the Campbell Soup dolls. Um, and even today, I bought a panel of paper dolls with Grace Drayton's drawings on them that I've applicated and assembled into a, a quilt for one of my granddaughters. So that was a long time that people were interested in her dolls. But they weren't the only dolls that um, were born from an illustration. Raggedy Ann, now Campbell Soup, now Cupie. Cupie was done by Rose O'Neill. It was a comic strip character of hers, of baby Cupids, nicknamed Cupie. And in, by 1914, she was one of the highest female il paid illustrators in America. All these years later, Cupid dolls have been made all over the world in all different materials. And in 1923, the hamburger chain QP, spelled a little bit differently, adopted Cupid doll for their logo. The time capsule in the 1939 New York's World Fair has a Cupid doll in it. Cupid has promoted Jell-O, Colgate, Kellogg's, Corn Flakes, and Sears Company. And as in recently on eBay, a postcard of Cupy promoting the suffrage cause sold for $150. Some of the Cupy dolls were made out of composition, and the one that I just showed you, she's sitting on the table. By the way, the dolls on the table, um, I kind of hate to say this, but only four dolls on there um, were things I did not make. That's what you can do if you don't tweet or tweet and Skype and all that other stuff. But, but. <laughs> now, composition dolls are often crazed by this time. You may have some of those in your own collection. They can be repaired. If they get their cracks filled in and repainted, the value of the monetary value goes way down. But you may enjoy your doll a little bit better if you still play with her. Um, Crazing is one problem dolls will have, and the other one is coming apart. The joints are usually held together with some kind of rubber, elastic or rubber bands. And as time goes by, the rubber deteriorates and bang, the limbs start coming loose. But that's not something you can't fix. It's not uh, too hard of a problem to fix it. And later on, I can give you a name of a lady in town who can fix it for you. A lot of us doll makers have the tools to do it. You need hemostats and some special doll elastic. But we can get those put back together for you. Here's some more composition dolls, the blue-eyed dolls. They're named from a song. This was about 1927 when the blue-eyed dolls were uh, story began. Um, Blue-eyed dolls from a song on the table. There's a, a sheet music called the doll dance that was my grandmother's from 1926. So singing about dolls was not something that was that unusual all around the world. The American blue-eyed dolls came about um, after Dr. Sidney Gullick organized the Committee on World Friendship Among Children. 
that was the idea was to get some goodwill going between our country and Japan. So this committee sent over twelve thousand dolls to Japan in time for the Japanese Doll Festival in 1927. Photos still exist of these school children with, the, with these blue-eyed dolls. In response, the Japanese children collected uh, money along with many others in, in the country and they had 58 dolls commissioned representing all the different provinces, their territories, some of the, uh, the more popular cities, and even the Imperial Doll Company family, imperial family, excuse me, and so those dolls totaled 58 in all. They were 33 inches high, pretty big. They had real human hair on them. They became called, known as friendship dolls. Here's some that are on display right now at the University of, of Montana. And this one's here at the Historical Society. Miss Ishikawa is downstairs now. There she is, resting, because she's going to be coming out soon in time for to be included in our 150th um, anniversary of the Historical Society. The opening is May 22nd, if you want to come meet her in person. When I first met her, I just looked at her and thought, oh, very interesting, a cool, really cool doll. But it wasn't until after I learned her history, the story behind her, that when I looked at her again, I got chills realizing the significance of these dolls. When the Japanese government sent these over to us, um, one of the quotes in the ceremony was, from this land of the sun to the land of the stars. And over they came, all packed up with passports tucked in their sleeves. That was 1927. In 1941, something happened to change the fate of the dolls. Pearl Harbor and we became enemies of the Japanese governor, government and vice versa. And the dolls were forbidden to be owned by the Japanese government as being from the enemy. The dolls suffered terrible atrocities over in Japan. There was big um, bonfires where you, the dolls were thrown in while they chanted anti-American sentiments. Um, saving a blue-eyed doll, you risk being condemned and punished as a traitor. And yet some people saved those blue-eyed dolls, which is why I had that picture for you. Um, but those blue-eyed dolls out of over 12,000, let's see, only 300 su survive. At least that's about all they can find so far. Over in America during the war, most of the Japanese dolls, it, it felt like that may have been inappropriate to have those, and they were packed away into, the, into storage containers. One doll, though, um, in a North Carolina museum was placed facing the wall. In 1989, Japan, whoops, Japan printed a stamp commemorating the blue-eyed doll, so things have changed. Between Japanese schools destroying their dolls and the American bombings in 1945, um, the ones that survive represent a survival of the ideal of international peace. Not only do we have these Japanese dolls here, this one here that's going to be out, but next Monday, Monday night, there's going to be a talk by uh, one of the world authorities on these dolls, Alan Scott Pate, um, speaking about them at the Last Chance Corral meeting. And I have copies of an email and the newspaper 
um, inviting people to reserve dinner and come hear him and see his slides. So if you're interested in the friendship dolls, um, you might want to pick up one of those handouts and come on Monday night. You'll need to call for a reservation so they make sure they have enough seats for you all. Now, here's a photograph, L.A. Hoffman in our archives. Look at this cute little party. And they all brought their dolls. These are porcelain dolls, too. They have their wig off. It's a little bit easier to find identifying marks if you take off their wig. This is an identified French doll. Um, and what's really special are those beautiful eyes that it has. It's a little hard. I was trying so hard to get you to see it. It is part of our collections. And if you really want to see any of these dolls up close, I can bring them out for you at some point. This French doll is a reproduction. Any of you heard how people were kind of cutting down Miss Clark for having, um, spending all this money on dolls when she, was, when she died recently and her estate was all up and the book Empty Mansions came out? People were kind of ridiculing her about her dolls and that kind of annoys some of us doll makers because we don't think we're crazy. And we like dolls, too. And dolls, uh, one of the critiques was how much money she was spending on some of the old porcelain dolls. And they can be very pricely, $12,000 and up. Sometimes a doll collector who's purchased a doll gets some of their money back by stripping the wig off, like that picture I showed you, taking the doll eyes out. Sounds almost as bad as what they might have done to the dolls in Japan in 1941. But then you could cast a mold of that doll head and get a new mold and make reproductions from the old ones. Studying the old faces, you realize what a work of art they are. Somebody had to sculpt that face just like somebody would sculpt a bust for a statue. Somebody had to do that and cast it in porcelain and then carefully apply paint, painted eyebrows. The cheeks had to be just right, the lips just the right shape. This French reproduction is sporting an outfit similar to what a lot of the French dolls had, showing the beautiful costumes um, from the culture of France way back in about 1880s. This dress, though, um, was recently made out of my friend's scraps of her grandmother's dress. So we thought that was a good way to preserve the salvageable pieces of her grandmother's clothing into a dress for her doll. This doll was made, a lot of dolls were made in the German country like this Kessner. She, we call her a letter doll. She has an H12 on the back. The 12 probably stood for her head dimension. And the J and K dolls after that were manufactured after 1910. Prior dolls didn't have the Kessner mark on them. There's lots of little clues you can get from the marks, and there's books on those marks. And there's people you can consult right here in Helena if you need some help identifying a doll. Another picture from our archives. You just don't know how many photographs we have with dolls in them. Have any of you ever been in our Homeland exhibit to see the Dora's Laundry exhibit at the end of your journey through the time? There's a photograph of a little girl with her dolly and a washboard and hanging up doll clothes that she just laundered. The white settlers weren't the only ones in Montana playing with dolls. Here's some Cheyenne children with their dollies. These are Crow. And I got another one up here. These are reproduction um, dolls, Crow, and this one is Blackfeet. And they're in our touch and learn trunk that when the children come, the docents will often get these out and pass them around to the children so they can get a good view of the Indian's dolls. A recent 
co collection we received was this one, and this is probably Gros, Grovant Assiniboine. And she's carved out of wood. Dolls can be made out of wax. Sometimes they weren't solid wax. They would be um, dipped, uh, a mold would be dipped into the wax to get a, a nice finish. You can imagine how fragile those might be. Somebody said they put their dollies in a cook stove, not thinking their father would ever light it. Um, you just had to get one of these near a cook stove. 1941, here's Lorna Dana with some dolls. It looks to me like they're pretty much probably composition dolls. In 1927, the F&B Company in Linden, where I grew up, made Patsy dolls. And Patsy and all her friends were quite popular, and many spin-offs came out of them. Patsy and her friend Skippy are sitting up there in the gingham. Those are 1980s vi collector's vinyl reproduction of the Patsy dolls. Most of the old Patsy dolls are starting to get a little bit cracked. My friend spent a lot of money getting one that wasn't cracked, and lo and behold, as time went by, especially here in Montana, cracks started appearing. So I opted to get some dolls I could actually play with, so I, I picked up the picked those up on eBay. Um, I got them pretty cheap because a lot of them, the rubber bands were disintegrated and they were all busted up into pieces. So I think I got $5 a piece for them. Of course, I had to put them together. So there's Patsy, one of my friend's Patsy dolls. Now again, you can see the shine on it. It is it's a reproduction. But there's Dolly Dingle, and she's an actual doll. Does she look a little familiar to maybe Cupie over there? Um, or to the Campbell Soup dolls? She was designed by Grace Drayton. Some of our culture shows us Tony dolls with the perm set. Any of you ever permed your doll's hair? That was pretty popular. Dolls are really a reflection of our culture. And then, can you recognize that girl, um, Shirley Temple? Before I even start pointing her out, you recognize Shirley right up. Lots of dolls on, of Shirley. Here's looking for a mark under the wig. Another place to find a mark, the back of the shoulder plate. And if your doll was off of the doll, you might be able to see more marks inside. Looking into the head, you can also discover whether it was made out of poured porcelain or pressed porcelain. That can sometimes date it, but some um, pressed porcelain dolls are still being made. Some dolls were never even marked. And here he is turned around looking at you. And that's a German character doll. Sometimes on the shoulder plates, you see those holes? Those are how they were often affixed to the body. Sometimes, whether there's three holes in the front or two in the back, sometimes that can be a mark in itself, letting you know either when somebody made it or who was making the dolls with how many holes in their shoulder plates. See why I'm only in kindergarten? There is a heck of a lot going on with these dolls. Now, I apologize. I'm, I don't have as good a, a camera as my friend Sandy. But we took the same doll and put two different wigs on them. Um, this is a very old doll, and she's got a, a new wig on and um, artificial hair. And then the other one, she has a mohair 
on it. We have a lot of fun when we make dolls. After we get the heads done, you try different wigs on them and you get completely different looks out of them. It's a lot of fun. But when I've taken old dolls and put an old wig or a mohair wig on them, I've gotten a completely different look out of them as if I use the, the, the artificial wigs. This doll has a real wig on here. She's got her owner's hair on it. This doll is, again, we warned you, this is at the governor's mansion. Governor Stewart's daughter's doll has a wig made from her haircut. So if you want to come see her, she's one of the stars over there for me. To keep porcelain from breaking, here's a way you can keep the legs from clanging together and busting. Very simple, a rubber band and a spool of thread. And that can solve, save a lot of problems for you. In those work baskets, I have quite a few of them, um, are full of advertisements for dolls. And I wish you could see the real dolls, one penny each one, because I got suckered into buying those when I was little. Anybody else? Every once in a while I run into somebody that bought those dolls. I was going to get 100 dolls for a dollar. And uh, this was before I was born, though. They were still having this ad running in the Little Lulu comic books when I was a kid. So I sent my dollar in. Me and my friend went in halvies, each paid 50 cents. And here comes the dolls in a box this big. And they were just little plastic dolls, only about that big. And I have one left. And I had to split them up. She got 50 and I got 50. Modern doll making is going on. These photographs are taken here in Helen, and that's my daughter working on a doll head. Um, and the doll head, maybe, if it was turned upside down, maybe remind you of a bust. We do have holes cut out getting ready for her eyes to get in there when she's finished. So it's a lot, it's a very long process. A lot of times it seems like it takes me a whole year just to make one doll. Not because I'm lazy, you guys. It takes a while. There's a lot of work involved. You've got to pour the porcelain slip in the mold. You got to fire it. You got to start smoothing all the smoothing all the little bumps and cracks out of it. Fire it again. Paint it. Paint it again and again and again. If you can't get the eyebrows right, till you like what they look like, and finally you get to put eyes on and then the fun wig. And you got to make a a body for it. If you have any dolls at home in your collection, I really encourage you to make sure you write up a provenance on it. Now, some of you may already know what a provenance was, but I run into a lot of people that aren't familiar with that term. They make things so valuable when an item has a provenance, um, the place of origin or the earliest known history of something. So if you have any dolls in your attic, I encourage you to think up some heirloom questions and write down about your doll and keep with her. A lot of my dolls have their provenances tucked in their underwear to make sure they stay with the dolls. Because I want, as just like the, the effect I had when I saw those Japanese friendship dolls the first time compared to when I looked at it after I knew its history, it really made me realize the story behind our doll, the history, the culture, the art, anything you know about it can make a big difference to people finding your dolls later on. Take a photo of you with it. Wouldn't that be fun? I've got a wonderful chair at home that I have a picture of my grandma, my great-grandmother sitting in it, too. So those photos of you with your doll, even if it's not an old photograph, can be very special to somebody. So are dolls more than a toy? 
Did you all think that before you came in? <laughs> well, I think they are, and I hope you do too. And again, I have a handout out there with uh, some information on who you can contact, because did you know Helena has a great big humongous doll store here? How much do dolls cost? All different prices. And this doll store has thousands of them. And you might not have known about this doll shop um, because it's, sometimes it's a little bit of a secret that we still play with dolls and we still collect dolls. So if you'd like to go, it's by appointment. And I put Donna Tennyson's name down on the paper. Um, her friend Millie Ruckman repairs dolls. So if you need any help with dolls or help identifying dolls, there's people in Helena that can help you. And you guys just got some inside information on some of us. Um, the other page up there is about the Friendship Dolls Talk um, um, at Jorgensen's Monday night. So I'm going to be there at 7. I want to I see what else I can find out. Because the more you look, the more you dig, the more you find out, the more you appreciate the dolls that you have or that you're seeing. So if you have any questions about the dolls or you want to look at any of them, um, I'm, we have a few more minutes. Pardon? I'm going to pass these dolls around to you. Composition is 